Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. One was a 15-year-old boy and one was a 16-year-old boy. The 15-year-old boy I knew from the age of eight. My youngest children went to school with him and he had this way about him. We liked him. He was cheeky and we liked him. I suppose we felt sorry for him. My mother was 73 years of age. They tried to smother her, these two youth offenders, and they strangled her after many hours of torture. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. She'd rang me when the killers came to the house and I wasn't home. These are the real voices of Australian true crime. Support us at patreon.com forward slash Ost True Crime Pod and leave us a review wherever you download your podcasts. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. The look on the three of our faces when we realised it was Victor Pierce, anyway, you know, we said, Victor, what are you doing here? Well, he looked like 
a rabbit that had, you know, seen some headlights. He was shaking, like, uh, uncontrollably, uh, just quietly. I think I was too. And I thought I was going to get pinged there and then. We hear you, Australian true crime listeners, and Narelle Fraser is back. Not only is she back for this episode, but she's busily working on a series of her own interviews called the Narelle Fraser Conversations, and they're coming soon to Australian true crime because women don't always have to be the stars of true crime for all the worst reasons. If you're in Melbourne and you're quick, you can still get tickets to see Narelle live at the State Library on March 28. For details, check out her Facebook page. In this episode of Australian True Crime, Narelle talks about her encounters with some very colourful characters, including the infamous Victor Pierce of the Pettingill clan. But we begin with an update on an unsolved case that Narelle worked on some years ago. OK, I've got some pretty exciting news, actually. An update. An update, mm. yes. Um, Operation Collier. I spoke about that, oh, I don't know, would it be six, eight months ago? Yeah. yeah. Probably longer. Yeah, I, I think reckon. it was longer. Yeah. yeah. Might have even been a year and a half ago. Oh, OK. Feels like yesterday. I know. <laughs> yep. Time's going fast. Um, so just to recap, uh, Operation Collier, uh, that was when I was at uh, the sexual crime squad or rape squad. Uh, there were eight incidents. Um, uh, it was a, a series of rapes um, between 1996 and 2000. All the victims were alone, uh, female, and between uh, 15 and 18 years of age, uh, a lot of them were hitchhiking um, and the offender offered them a lift. Uh, all but one victim, they're all very similar in appearance. Um, all the offences occurred within about a 10k radius of uh, in the Dandenongs. And uh, just to recap for the people uh, not in Victoria or Australia, that the Dandenongs are um, the, the hills about, I don't know, what would they be in, 30k's out? About 35k's out, and you've got. Belgrave yep. and um, you can see them from most of Melbourne. Yeah. So beautiful mountain range yeah. on the yeah. outside of the city. Yeah, and very dense bush, and uh, it's a beautiful part of um, our world here. But so all the offences occurred within ten k's of the Dandenongs, or within the Dandenongs, really. Uh, most of the girls were going to or from a railway station. There was something uh, like public public transport was um, um, a common theme, like either a railway station or a bus stop. Uh, in all offences, a handgun or and or a knife was used, um, all but one offence, um, and threats were made to the girls if they didn't comply with um, his demands. Uh, all the girls stated the offender smoked cigarettes, um, and quite a few of them. Uh, two of the vehicles that the girls identified, I thought, how good is this, that with all the stress of um, being abducted, being raped, uh, two of the girls could actually remember the registrations. So as the crook drove off, they, you know, tried to remember it or wrote it down or something, but two of them got registration numbers and both of the uh, vehicles had stolen plates on them. Um, the majority of fences were late at night. There was one that occurred at 7.30 in the morning at a bus stop. The description of the offender was pretty much always the same, very similar, and he has never been identified. So that's a bit of a recap on Operation Collier. And just to put things in perspective, even though an offender's never been identified, a file like this is never, ever closed. It's referred to as unsolved. So even though it's unsolved, it's not put away and forgotten about. I think a lot of people think like that, but it isn't. A summary of every unsolved case is on the police computer system and every DNA sample that's added to the DNA database, it's always checked against all outstanding offences where DNA was obtained. And with Operation Collier, we do have a DNA sample. So I know that it has been checked Every time somebody provides a DNA sample or they get one from a crime scene, it's always checked. And that has never come up. We've never had a match there. 
So the actual hard copy of the file, which can be like folders and folders of information and the evidence obtained during the investigation, it's stored at um, either the responsible squad. So if it's an arson investigation, it'll be at arson, rape, it'll be at sex crimes, I don't know, fraud, but they're, they're generally either filed at the responsible squad or sometimes out at the division where the unsolved offence occurred. That's so that often the local detectives, if they're a bit quiet or somebody wants to get their teeth into something, the boss will often give them an old file to have a look at to see if they can... I don't know, maybe uh, re-interview some witnesses or just see something with a different pair of eyes that somebody else hasn't. So with unsolved, time is on the side of the detectives because relationships change over time and, you know, information that you promised you'd never divulge or you'd never tell anyone something you might know, that can often get to people and for whatever reason, they need to get it off their chest. So going back to an unsolved or a, a cold case file, you re-interview re, um, people yeah. and it's amazing sometimes how effective that is. Yeah, I heard a detective in Caroline Overington's podcast about William Tyrrell and he was saying that, look, they won't often come to you, but if you go... Very rarely. Yeah, if yep. you go and re-interview those people. But also, you know, what if it was, oh, I don't know, an ex-boyfriend or yeah. an ex-girlfriend or something and you've moved on and you think, you know, I don't know them anything anymore. Yeah. I'm going to tell somebody, you know, so... And I do feel guilty about absolutely. giving them a false alibi mm. or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a great challenge when a boss gives you a file that hasn't that is unsolved. It's a great challenge for you to look down every nook and cranny just to think maybe somebody's missed something that I see. You yeah. Know? And I think that's a sign of a good detective that the one that that has looked at it, they don't think, oh, that'd be right, you know, they don't think I've done a good job or whatever. You just want the job solved. Yeah. I would say all the time, you go for it, please, you know. Yeah. Be my Quite guest. satisfying to be able to do that. Yeah. Oh, very. Mm. I'd love another set of eyes over it because I'd be so frustrated. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's how mm. that's how most detectives would feel. Every now and then you get one that, you know, thinks, pardon me, they're shit hot and, you know, they've done everything right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, so what's happened is um, a few weeks back I was contacted by a detective who told me that Operation Collier has been sent back to the sex crime squad due to some, what he referred to was credible information given by a woman who'd listened to our Operation Collier podcast. Now, he did tell me quite a bit about the woman, that, which I, I obviously won't divulge here, but whatever information she has given to the local detectives, they've been out, they've interviewed her, nobody has any problems. They know that she is a genuine, credible witness and so much so that sex crimes have taken the file and they are now having another look wow. at Operation Collier. Now, that is huge because I just sort of feel... All we're, I'm not downplaying what we've done, but all we've really done is just, again, time. You know, we've just told people about this unsolved case and somebody out there has been listening and has realised, my God, I don't know if she is a another victim or she's a witness, but whatever it is, it is very, very credible. So, okay. Yeah. So, and it's inspired her to come forward and speak to police and say, I think I know something about that. Yes. And I believe they've, they've taken a statement from her and they are now reinvestigating. That's I would think the whole exciting. thing. Yeah. Um, but I think, I suppose that's a very good um, lead in to say that if you do, you know, if you do know something little, and this is what we teach investigators, we say to them, to get people to feel comfortable and to tell you everything and you instruct them. You say, I want you to tell me everything you remember. Don't leave anything out. Because sometimes they may think, oh, oh they're not going to be interested in the fact that, you know, I saw a purple car drive past, for instance. Well, they don't know whether that might be the part of the jigsaw that puts it all together. So that's what we always say is to tell us everything you remember. Don't leave anything don't out. Don't you try and decide what's important. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, today 
I thought I might talk a bit about Victor Pearce. And to put it into context, I suppose it's an encounter I had uh, with Victor um, back in 1991. But I firstly thought I might give a brief outline, and it's not easy to be brief about the Pettingles. It's yeah, a hundred stories for every one of yeah, them. Yeah, but why he became, I suppose, a household name in 1988. Because I suppose many of our listeners may not have been born in 1988 or they were very young. So uh, Victor Pearce was one of five men charged with what became known as the Wall Street murders. It was the murder of two innocent young policemen ambushed and shot at close range in Wall Street in South Yarra. We go back to October 1988 and I'd been a cop for about 14 months at this stage and I was working at Carlton Uniform. And by 1988, there'd been a spate of criminals killed by police. Well, this this ties into another of my favourite sort of stories, which is the war that went on between the armed robbers and the armed robbery squad. Yep. And that's sort of what I'm going to touch yeah. on a bit today, the Flemington crew, because they were a crew of armed robbers. And so with this spate of criminals killed by the police, uh, I don't know a great deal about why they were killed, or but Victoria Police did have a reputation a long time ago when I first joined that they were, gun happy is probably the wrong word, but that we were killing a lot of people. And I would hope and I would assume it was justified, but the, the crooks will obviously think differently. But I know a guy called um, Mark Militano, a guy called Frank Velastro, they were killed by police in 1987. And then on the 11th of October of 1988, a very relevant date, Graham Jensen was killed by the police. Now, Graham Jensen had been a suspect in a series of armed robberies committed by a group of criminals that you are just talking about, armed robbers known as the Flemington Crew. Now, Victor Pearce was part of that Flemington Crew. So Jensen is killed by police on the 11th. Jensen is a part of that Flemington crew. So in the early hours of the following day, being the 12th of October 1988, in what was said to be a retaliation for the murder of Graham Jensen two police were murdered in Wall Street, South Yarra. That's sort of a an inner Melbourne suburb, only a few k's away from the city. The boys, the police, were in a unit called Pran 311. It's the night shift divisional van in Pran, and it contained two constables, Damien Eyre and Steve Tynan. They were lured to Wall Street in response to a report of an abandoned vehicle, and what they did is they get out of the vehicle, they check it, which, you know, as divisional van cops, that you get those jobs a lot. An abandoned vehicle, you know, it's like, um, oh, I don't know, s- smashed windows, a berg. It's it's a fairly common oh. uh, offence. Back then, it okay. was. So what they do is they get out of the car to check and they were shot and killed there and then, basically. Five men were initially charged. Victor Pierce is one of them. A guy called Peter McAvoy, Trevor Pettingle, Anthony Farrell and Jason Ryan. There was another suspect, Jed Horton. He was shot dead by police days after Wall Street during uh, an arrest that went very wrong. Jason Ryan, he became a prosecution witness. I think he was Victor's nephew, but he was put into witness protection and all the others went to trial. So Vic Pierce is one of Kath Pettingle's sons. She's got yes. a few sons with different surnames. Yes, yep. she's got Dennis, yep. Peter, Dennis Allen, Peter Allen, Victor Pierce, Lex Pierce, yeah. Trevor Pettingle, and there's one other on Jamie, Jamie and Pettingle's Jamie Pettingle. the baby, um, and, and he's and some passed. daughters as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, I think Vicky Brooks. Yeah, I think she's got. Daughter. I think she had ten. We only ever thought she had nine, but lately they've been talking about ten. I don't know, but. All the the four that were charged, they were acquitted in March 1991. So at that time in 88, I'd been working at Carlton, uh, the uniform. I was very junior. It was my first gazetted station. And I learned really quickly a couple of names that I needed to get up on speed on. And one of those names was the Pettingles. And Kath and her family lived just around the corner from the police station, including Victor Pierce. And I learned that most of the Pettingles were well known to the police, including Kath. 
So, as I said before, Graham Jensen was part of that Flemington crew that Victor Pearce sort of ran. They were a group of criminals suspected of committing a heap of armed robberies, mostly on banks in the late 80s. And just a few k's away was another really well-known group of criminals called the Carlton crew. They were into sort of money. They weren't, I don't think they were armed robbers so much. They were money laundering, like illegal gambling, extortion, drug trafficking. They were real standover men, weren't they? And I think, and a murder here and there. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, they sort of came together in the 70s, didn't they, when the painters and dockers, the enforcers from the painters and dockers union met up with the Italian standover guys from Carlton. Then they came together and formed the Carlton crew. Yeah, I can't say I'm all that... Um, That's what I'm here I... for, mate. <laughs> Don't worry. Encyclopedic knowledge. Yeah, yeah. got you covered. I'm impressed. So the Flemington crew was headed by Victor, but that included Jed Horton, who'd been killed a couple of days after Wall Street. Peter McAvoy, Paul Prideau, Lindsay Roundtree and Gary Abdullah. Uh, in their time, they were reasonably sort of sophisticated, I would say, in the execution of their crimes. And they just carried a sawn-off shoddy around and they weren't afraid to use it. The Carlton crew, that included Alphonse Gangitano, otherwise known as the Black Prince of Ligon Street, and he was murdered in 88. Mick Gatto, uh, Mario Condella, he was a... a lawyer and he was murdered in 2006 and a guy I don't know much about and I never have, a guy called Ron Bongetti. After Wall Street, policing changed. It changed a lot. Police became very hesitant to, like before Wall Street, you would pull up probably on average of a night shift. You might pull up I don't know, six, seven cars. You'd pull them up and you'd, you know, check who was in them, have a bit of a chat and where are they off to. It was a normal thing to pull over cars and check them just to see who's out and about. But after Walsh Street, we became very hesitant to do that. We had all these directions and they from D24, the communications, and the direction was to not pull up a a vehicle unless we had uh, the registration we'd given wherever we were, you know, like outside number 791 Smith Street, like we had to be really precise. So you had to call all that in first. Yep, before we even pulled them over. Mm. And it was also wherever we were and we were pulling over a car, D24 would get another car from, you know, if we were in St Kilda and they'd get another van to come and just sort of sit behind us and watch us and, oh, yeah, we were really... Did you feel that tension? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually a frightening time because I I think when it took a long time, or it seemed to take a long time for them to be charged and to be brought before the courts and... It seems like there was also a sense it was a cowardly attack because they didn't take on... Oh, you couldn't on, get any more cowardly. No, they didn't take on the armed robbery squad who were tough. The armed robbery squad. We didn't have a uniform as detectives, but the armed robbery squad sort of did. They wore white shirts, nothing like any colour. A white shirt with short sleeves oh. and generally their arms were as big as my house. Oh. <laughs> you know, so they were generally pretty well... Well built guys, yeah. and they I don't remember a, a female being in the oh, there was one a female in the armed robbery squad, but generally they were men, big boys who worked out a lot, and they did put the fear of God in you like, and they wore black trousers, you know, nothing. Oh, no, they wouldn't wear anything hip, you know, with a hip and with a belt, and oh, no, no, no it was very. Male, what's that? You Macho. Know, very. Yeah. 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 So they did have a uniform. And the armed robbery squad had an armed robbery squad tie. Yeah. Yes. And it was black. Oh. No colour. Nothing. Mm. Anyway. Sounds like reservoir dogs or something. So it seems like, you know, if you're going to commit an armed robbery, you can expect yourself to be involved in a shootout in which you're going to be killed. But if you're. That's a bit harsh. In that environment. But then if to retaliate by ambushing two young constables in their divvy van doesn't seem like a fair retaliation. No, absolutely not. It it is a coward's. Yeah. Of course it is. And where do you start, you know, with two young policemen? But. Going back to then, I had a few dealings with the Pettingles. Um, you know, nothing. It was a, it was an uncomfortable place to be to go round to. I think they lived in K Street. Didn't they make you feel comfortable when you went round? Kath never invited me in for a coffee. Oh. I was so nice to her. I too. bet you were. I always wonder if, like, sometimes I'm not saying Kath did this, but 
you see in movies, you know, people will do a spit in the coffee before <laughs> yeah, they I hand wouldn't it want to, it. like, yeah. cops or something. No, but it's I'm horrible. sure Kath wouldn't do that. But, of course, Dennis would have been dead, wouldn't he, by this stage, because oh, he, yeah, he died of all cancer. Oh, yes. Yeah, at 35. Yes. Mm. Actually, I shouldn't. I was just being a bit sarcastic then. But Dennis... I know he he was God. He, I think there was about ten murders that he was uh, oh, under the word. pump for when he passed away. Mm. But he's still someone's son, like anyway. I'm starting to sound like a do-gooder. So anyway, I've had a few dealings with them, but Alphonse was the one I remember best. Sounds like somebody's still got a soft spot for the Black Prince of Ligon Street. We'll find out after the break. But first, we need to thank some patrons, Cass. Michelle Ryan, Sue Jones, Taylor Walters, and Joe. Just Joe. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Coming up on Australian True Crime, the most frightening moment of Narelle Fraser's policing career. But first, Vince Colosimo brought Alphonse Gangitano to life brilliantly in the Underbelly TV series. But what was he really like in the flesh? He had an aura, absolutely. He was handsome, he was immaculately dressed he was always in designer suits, always. You'd never see him in a pair of runners and a, you know, tatty pair of jeans. No, nah, he was always in a suit. He was very charming, I'd have to say, and pretty damn suave. But he was also known in the traps to be very violent, but I never saw anything like that. Like, he was always very, I'd have to say, reasonably pleasant to the police. There was a rumour going around too about Alphonse. If you'd catch a crook late at night, like, say, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and you needed the crook bailed or whatever, you'd get a bail justice in. Now the bail justice system is, I think it's a bit different, but what we used to do is we used to have a list at Carlton of bail justices that you could call uh, at any time of the day or night and they'd come and do the bail hearing. Anyway, we had, I won't name her, but we had a female at Carlton and... There was a rumour going around that she was having this um, relationship with Alphonse. And it wouldn't matter whether you called her at 3am, 5am, 1.30am. 
she would come in and she had beautiful nails. And this is when false nails and all that weren't it. Like she was immaculate, like Alphonse, like the female version of Alphonse. <laughs> and she, uh, her hair was, you know, beautiful. She had full makeup on, uh, lipstick. Oh, look, we used to laugh. And she'd play up to the boys, something shocking. However, there was a rumour going around that she was having it off with Alphonse. Mm. Uh, I think they would have made a good pair, actually. Um, But anyway, so... I hope she was. Otherwise, no one was asking her out for no reason. (laughs) She was going to all that trouble. I know. She was sitting at home alone wondering, why doesn't anyone ever ask me out? Oh. Oh. So I hope she was having it off with Alphonse. Well, it was pretty saucy at the time. Great. But we never found out whether she was or wasn't. Yeah, so going back to Wall Street, all the four men that were charged with Wall Street, they were acquitted in the Supreme Court in March 1991. And it was a seven-week trial. Well, it's quite a story too, wasn't it? Because the (sighs) main witness was Victor Pierce's wife, Wendy. Mm, Wendy. Yes, who the police were relying on and they took her away into witness protection and all that kind of stuff. And at the last minute... I'd have to say she was their star witness. Absolutely. Wendy. And she retracted her statement, I believe, at the very last minute. Mm. And... She refused to testify, but, however, she did go inside for perjury. So, yeah. you know. How long for? I think she only went in for about nine months. It wasn't long. It was certainly not as long as Vic would have gone for had he been found guilty. Oh, God, no. But even though they were all acquitted, the word around at the time, and I don't think it's ever really changed, was that police believed that Pierce fired the gun and killed the two constables. He was in custody for, I don't know, couple of years, more than two years, over the Wall Street murders. Waiting for the trial? Yeah, yeah. So I just think it's interesting of the five that were charged. Of course, I told you that Jason Ryan, he became a prosecution witness. So he'd be Vic's nephew. Yep, Yep. yeah. And he eventually integrated back into society. But he's now serving a sentence for murder. Um, And sexual assault of a woman. Yes. Is that Jason Ryan? Yeah, yeah. He's he's the son of... Kat's daughter, Vicky. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, me neither. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. I mean, but what is it? You know, like, it's learned behaviour, isn't it? That they grow up in, and Kath, you know, I often think about... Oh, Kath's childhood and her life were very hard. And that's my point. Yeah. Like, it's easy to criticise Kath, and don't get me wrong, I'm not putting Kath up on a pedestal, far mm. from it. But Kath learned a certain way of growing up. Yeah. And so... She thinks, within reason, that that's normal. Mm. And so she has kids and they grow up thinking it's normal to hate police and, you know, if you want something, you just pinch it from somebody. You know, that sort yeah. of a um, psyche. psyche. They, yeah. they just, I mean, I know they're adults and they can make up their mind and they know what's right and what's wrong, but. I just yeah. think learned behaviour. Anyway, going Sly back. Sylvester wrote an incredible, uh, did an incredible interview recently in The Age with Dennis Allen's daughter. Oh, is that Katie? I th- Yeah, it must be. I think he only had one child. And yeah. it just. I think I read that yeah. where she was, uh, what was she? Was... She's a great young woman, but she was talking about the same thing about, yeah. you know, growing up in this environment. It's been really difficult for her to break out of it. Yeah. And she was supposed to be raised by Victor Pierce's family, but then, you know, Vic was killed and all yeah. that stuff. But yeah, just that it's really hard to break out of that cycle. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. Like, I feel. They didn't know any different, and I'm not making excuses. Please don't ever think that. Um, They are cowards, they're crooks, you know, they're murderers. And they were the um, inspiration for Animal Kingdom, weren't they? That's right. Jason Ryan was the... You know, the... uh, Sorry, the the young guy, and it was sort of... In fact, Animal Kingdom won a... And a inter- couple of international yeah. awards, didn't it? And I was just thinking, I'm, we're so susceptible to that. We often talk about this. It's probably that I felt for that character so much in the movie that now mm. I'm really sad to hear mm. about mm. Jason Ryan being incarcerated. Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Farrell, uh, he died of cancer a few years back. Um, and I think it was always said that, uh, I don't know, always said, but I think in the end, they found out or they determined that Anthony Farrell was on the periphery. He wasn't actually – he assisted in the planning but wasn't um, – he was a low-level thief and drug addict, I think, but he wasn't actually there at the shootings. Peter McAvoy. Where do I start with Peter McAvoy? He had quite a criminal history. Uh, he was known around the traps as Bubble Brain. 
And I've heard a description. In fact, I think I read it. He was called Bubble Brain due to the shape of his head, which was unmistakable, I must admit, seeing Peter McAvoy. But so he's the sort of bloke when you turn around and go, which one's Bubble? Oh, don't worry. Yeah, correct. Peter McAvoy, um, he came to police attention as a 20-year-old and in the mid-70s he went to jail for a vicious number of gang rapes on young women. He was very violent and he carried a loaded shotgun like you and I'd carry a handbag. Trevor Pettingle. I think it'd be fair enough to say I've had a few dealings with Trevor and he's not a brain surgeon, Trevor. Yeah, a bit harsh, but um, he's Kat's youngest son and he was the youngest brother of Victor. And he really was, or is, I don't know what he's doing these days, but he was a career criminal. He had lots of convictions for drug dealing, burgs, firearms and assaults. And it has been suggested, and I don't know if it's ever been proven, that Trevor was also on the peripheral. He wasn't actually at Wall Street, but he had, you know, to do with the planning. And then, of course, we come to Victor. He was murdered. Uh, He was shot at close range in Bay Street, Port Melbourne in 2002. He Mm -hmm. was Kath's third son of six sons to die. There just seems to be a never-ending list of crimes and criminal figures linked to Victor and like Kath. For instance, we've talked about Dennis, heart disease. Then there was, uh, oh yeah, Jamie Pettingle, you talked about him. And I'm pretty sure he died of an overdose from a hot shot. um, Quite young too. He was only a just out of teenage years, I think. Peter Allen. I don't know a lot about Peter Allen other than he spent most of his life in jail and I think that's to do with drug trafficking or something like that and maybe gun and drug dealing like back in the the 80s. And I found out during the week that in 2005, just it just gets sadder and sadder. Well, yeah, it does. It gets sadder and sadder. Sad, yeah. In 2005, Victor Pierce's son, 27-year-old... Victor Pierce Jr., Kat's grandson, he was shot in the shoulder by his brother-in-law. Yep, um, and the brother-in-law was charged with attempted murder. Like, it just just goes on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. And, of course, there's Victor's daughter, Katie. Uh, she died of a drug overdose only a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, that's right. She yeah. did too. Did yeah. she have some legal troubles before that as well? I think I one, don't of his, know. one of his daughters did. Oh, the poor thing. I put my boots into enough of the pedicles. I don't need to put it into Katie as well. But, you know, it's always sad when I think she was only young yes. and she died of a, an overdose. So I digress. Victor Pierce. He claimed what I thought was amazing that after his acquittal, he said that he was afraid of police retribution. Uh, and he issued a statement where he professed his innocence. God love Victor. And he requested, I love this, quote, to be left alone to work and prove to the community that I'm not as bad as police and the press has made me out to be. God love you, Victor. Mm-hmm. Well, let me try and shoot that theory right out of the water if it hasn't been done already. In Victor's defence, I will say he should have been afraid of police, and I'm sorry, but I have to put that out there. I think that's a, that's a reasonable thing to say, don't you think? Everything else is a bit rich, but... Yes. Yes. Under the circumstances. <laughs> there Just was a long, yes. there was, was a, a pause there. Was like, yeah, it was a closed <laughs> question, but, you know. The facial expression, if we had a video, to video that In the spirit of expression. openness and transparency, yeah. I have yep. to say, fair enough. Thanks for your support there, girls. <laughs> no, but, yeah. Anyway, let's move on on the other bits. Yep. Okay. So... Uh, Charlie Nakarkas, he was a one-time lawyer for the Pettingle family. I'm not sure if he is now. But he was representing Victor in some legal proceedings where he spoke of a shitty little shoplifting charge that Victor Pierce was involved in, he went to court for in mid-1991. And that, my friends, that shitty little shoplifting charge was where I come into the picture. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So two days after... They're all acquitted, so only two days later. So everything's very raw. Oh, tense. Oh, my God, tense. Yes. I walked into a situation which I initially thought it was a setup. It was one of the few times in my career where I was truly petrified and I honestly thought my time was up. I was working the Carlton Specials, the Specials team, myself, 
another constable or senior Connie from Carlton and a detective. We happened to be just around the corner from a job that came over the D24 radio and the job was just such a basic job. It was something like, you know, one being held for theft at the IGA store in North Melbourne. We just happened to be in the area. It was underneath the North Melbourne flats. We were given the directions. But because we were in the area, you know, driving around, we said we'd take it. Pulled up within a few minutes, really, at the North Melbourne IGA. Now, the specials team, I don't know if they've got them now, but they're in the 80s and 90s, and they comprised of a detective from the local CIB and two uniform members from that area. And who and generally the junior police under the detective, they'd showed some sort of potential and they'd been awarded with a stint working with the CIB. Like, you, was, you know, you were pretty bloody, you know, important, impotent. So the specials team comprised of myself and the detective and my colleague. Anyway, we're all wearing operational equipment as specials, everything that a uniform member would have, but we're in plain clothes and we're in a plain car. The plain car had everything that the police required, but we could drive around incognito. No one knew who we were. It was fantastic fun, I've got to say, but the investigations that the specials conducted were more involved than investigations you'd get on the div van. So anyway, in our plain car and in our plain clothes, we just rock up to this IGA and it was really casual. You know, we just get out of the car and we walk up and, and we walk up towards the IGA and we arrive to find a group of maybe about 20 and what they're doing is they're circling this man who was holding a little girl's hand and the little girl might have been five or six, something like that. And they're outside the IGA store in North Melbourne under the flats and the situation was really tense because the owners say, you know, we show our badges and he, the man there, he's, he's tried to steal a jar of coffee. Have a look under his jacket. Anyway, so... We try and all we can see is these, the man's got his back to us and it is really everyone's yelling and uh, it was tense. So the owner of the IGA somehow, I don't know how we'd got all this group, how we'd found all these friends, but they've surrounded this bloke and he can't get out. Anyway, the store owner tells us that the man in the middle, he's stolen a jar of coffee. Have a look, it's under his coat pocket and he hasn't paid for it. And the owner had confronted the man and they'd had an argument. So as we walked through the group surrounding this man and the daughter, I looked and I thought, pardon me, fucking hell, that's Victor Pierce. Oh, my God. So two days prior, he's been acquitted, right? And it was like, oh, my God. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God. And all I can remember thinking was we were under the flats at North Melbourne. And all, like, there's 20 uh, stories of these Housing Commission flats. And at, and I, we all knew Peter McAvoy was living at those flats. And I thought I was going to get pinged there and then because they would have been looking out for one another, you know. And the look on the three of our faces when we realised it was Victor Pierce. anyway, you know, we said, Victor, what are you doing here? Well, he looked like a rabbit that had seen some headlights. He was shaking, like, uh, uncontrollably, just quietly. I think I was too. And all I wanted to do was get away from the outside and get under the the veranda so that, you know, we weren't there exposed, exposed, yeah. Anyway, he was so apologetic and, oh, please don't hurt me. Like, really, it was terrible. Yeah, well, he must have thought you could have shot him in the head pretty well I'd need a good reason but well you would but you could have thought of one I would think oh, you've been reading a lot of crime yeah yes too much I would yeah. say but I mean you know he's two days out of jail and all that he's pretty paranoid he's just been acquitted of the most yeah um uh, uh, of shooting some coppers yeah yeah it's crazy times and he's thinking the same thing you're thinking yeah yeah and he was hanging on to this little girl mm. so tight, and it was clearly his daughter. Um, but I actually thought that he was, you know, going to squeeze her to death. He just oh. grabbed her and wouldn't let her go. Um, anyway, whilst we were trying to sort out um, what occurred, we put the cuffs on him. And it's always a bit awkward 
like the little girl, she, you know, it's her dad. She doesn't know he's, you know, just been acquitted of killing two coppers. So, as I said, I felt sure that we were going to get pinged. Absolutely. So we put the cuffs on him and we didn't actually tell the owner who he was because we couldn't believe it. But also I thought if we told the owner, it was just something we didn't actually discuss, but, you know, you think sometimes the owner doesn't need to know that bloke that he has just confronted, right? But we did find the jar of coffee. Like, so we pat Victor down. Generally I thought we might find a firearm. Mm But we actually found a jar of coffee worth two dollars seventy-four. Like, why would oh, oh, just forgetting all the other stuff he's done? Why would you steal a jar of coffee for two dollars seventy-four? Because I reckon he had no money, honestly. Well, that's the only reason you'd steal. Yeah, because yeah. he's been in jail for two years. I reckon he's got no money. Now you're starting to feel sorry for him. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying I reckon he's got no money. If it was something for his little girl, you know, anyway. <sighs> Stop it, Michelle. Stop <laughs> it. Anyway, we never told the IGA store owner. Uh, we got Victor in the car, headed back to Carlton Police Station, uh, Carlton CIB. He was so apologetic and he was really, oh, you're not going to hurt me, are you? And Victor, you've stolen a jar of coffee, you know. Um, but I must admit, I despised him. Yeah. I really wanted to just you know, whack him across the head, really. But anyway, but Wendy beat us to the police station. I I don't know how she found out, but she beat us to the... And the CIB officers from North Melbourne might be a, oh, I don't know, five-minute, seven-minute drive. Wendy beat us. So somebody did tell Wendy yeah. that the police... Anyway, so we get back there, and what happens is I think that when Wendy walked in... She was so angry, not at us, at Victor, right? And he might have been an accused murderer, but I tell you what, in that household, I tell you, buddy wore the pants there and it was not Victor. You know, she's going off at him. What the, you know, F are you doing? And, yes, you know, what What about our daughter? Haven't you got any responsibility? You're just out of jail. But she went right off. Good on her. So she should have. And then she turned. Yeah. And then she turned on us and, you know. And, you know, I get what she was. She was so angry and she's saying, you know, haven't you got better things to do out there than, you know, pull up some bloke for a jar of coffee under his jacket? Shouldn't you be out catching real criminals? (laughs) Well. Oh, God. So So we charged him and summonsed him and he actually went to court and he was convicted. For the jar of coffee. Oh. So we couldn't get him for murder, but we could for, yeah. But wow. a few weeks after Victor was shot in Port Melbourne, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to. He was shot in May 2002 and I inadvertently saw a photo of Victor at the coroner's court within hours after he'd been shot. And he was on a table in the autopsy room and I shouldn't have seen the photo, but I did. I stumbled across it. So, and I wasn't searching through somebody's drawers. It really was. I just stumped, I wasn't meant to see it. But it really shocked me because of the mess that his chest was in. But the overriding emotion I felt, and I felt ashamed to feel like this, but it was, well, not ashamed. I felt a sense of relief mm. that he was dead now and he couldn't, hurt anybody else. You know, and I suppose I'm really aware that, you know, he had kids and a family loved him, but he'd also been charged with killing two very innocent young policemen who also had a family that loved him. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I suppose really it was a violent death for a violent man. You can't keep terrifying innocent people, brandishing shotguns and not eventually pay the consequences. So I felt in another way when I saw the photo, it was like, well, you got what was coming to you. We will definitely be telling you about our national tour next week, including who our special guests will be and how our patrons can get their tickets first. And thank you to these patrons, Lauren Rackley, Margaret Stevenson, Chenza Fulco and Tamara Smolinski. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime made in partnership with the ACAST Creator Network. We'll be back next week.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, Michelle Laurie here. And as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.